Mark Palmer. Henry Pratt. And I'm Erin Eldridge. And welcome to Fireside Rants. And I'm Nick, and I'm the one who asks all the questions around here. So, Amazon recently announced the locations for its second headquarters. Uh, one in Long Island City and one in que uh, Crystal City in Virginia. The, the decision comes after a 16-month search in which cities large and small courted, basically, Amazon to build the headquarters in their town. They threw tax in incentives, they threw public money, they threw an opportunity to have a say in the budget at some points. The city budget at some points. New York offered over $1.5 billion in tax credits and grants to Amazon to build in Long Island City. <clears throat> Guys, some people weren't super happy about that much public money being sent to one of the richest companies in America. Um, so do you think this is a wise investment or do you think that it's not? I think the economics are definitely complicated. I'm not going to pretend like I know more about exactly how um, taxes and state revenue works and how that's all going to get allocated and redistributed. But I, I do have a little voice in the back of my progressive head that's like, it's good that we're kind of moving forward. And I think Amazon is a little bit of a scary capitalism monster, a tiny bit. But also, I, whenever I hear myself saying like, this isn't any good, like, we can't let Amazon come in and take over. I feel like I sound a little bit like like an old person, <laughs> if you feel me, you know? Like, I feel like I'm kind of a little, like, resistant to change, which obviously, historically, is not a great thing. So part of me wants to be like, all right, Amazon, like, let's see what you got. You might do some good for New York. But then the other part of me is like, what is this going to cost? And then there's another part of me who's from New Hampshire and is like, it's irrelevant to me. <laughs> okay, so let me, let me rephrase the question because I didn't ask it quite the way I wanted to. Okay. Do you have a problem with the way New York courted Amazon, with the way it went down? Yes, I'd like to just share with people an actual quote from our intrepid leader, Andrew Cuomo. I'll change my name to Amazon right. Cuomo if that's what it takes. Yeah, we just elected a guy who said that. Um, what? I'm sorry, you are the governor of a state? 27 million people? We have, oh, sorry, no, apologies, like 17 million people. We have a lot of people in the state. We have a lot of talent in the state. We are not struggling to attract any sort of new companies in the state. But this just kind of shows you that Amazon can go around, wave its money around, and get all these different cities to line up. And I absolutely agree that if we put an Amazon headquarters in Detroit, if we put an Amazon headquarters in St. Louis, if we put an Amazon headquarters somewhere where it would attract investment, it would take up maybe some buildings that would be vacant, something like that. It would bring in young professionals into an area. This could do some good and it would make sense to give out some tax breaks. But it doesn't make any sense to put an Amazon headquarters in New York City, and it just, I think it just goes to show is that whenever you start any kind of bidding war, everybody just piles on regardless of whether or not it's good or not. It's the ultimate, I think somebody described it as like the perfect 21st century, like late capitalism zeitgeist. This, it's the new American idol.
you know, you have you have a corporation company that goes around to a bunch of cash stars cities and says, oh, 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 here, here's, yeah, give me, yeah, 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 give me some tax breaks, and tries to get all these people to throw all their tax breaks. Everyone's throwing all their, you know, undergarments onto the stage, trying to get this company to go and settle there, and then they end up settling for the people that they picked that they had picked way in the beginning beforehand anyway. And that's that's what sort of came out of here. We we were we were played. Amazon is a private company, obviously, and they have the right to go anywhere they want um, in terms of picking a city. And Newark, Maryland, they offered more tax incentives, incentives and breaks than New York State. So let's let's put that like in perspective a little bit. And also in Wisconsin, they did a similar thing with a tech firm. From I think China, Foxconn. That was and a different. Yeah. Sure, sure, but they still offer tax breaks. They still offer high tax breaks to the company. When you can make the argument and say they shouldn't, they don't deserve tax breaks. So if we don't like Amazon going into to Northern Virginia and Long Island City, city, yeah, Long Island City. Wow, it's crazy. Um, where that place is, it's not even known as a, I mean, it's starting to be a, a place where it's up and coming and, and people want to go there. But at one point, no one wanted to go there. No one wanted to invest there. Um, and if you notice where they invested as well, um, they invested in, in places where tech is starting to be a popular thing and it's starting to be the new go-to in the area. Cornell built a, new, a school for tech, and it was the University, University of Virginia uh, recently opened up a school for tech. Um, so they're going to places where young people are, where communities potentially are, are thriving, and the state will make the money back, and the city will make the money back. Um, and a Amazon and, a, and any city cannot offer Amazon no tax breaks. That's just impossible. Can I jump in here? So two things. One, you're comparing, essentially, Jolly Ranchers to Dinosaurs, okay, with that Foxconn thing. You really, that was really kind of pulled out of left field, and, and I'm going to explain why I believe that in a second. But first I just want to say, and I want to, uh, this is the kind of the most plainest, simplest way I can put it. You have a company, Amazon, being run by uh, um, soon to be the world's first trillionaire, a guy named Jeff Bezos, who I believe um, gets sexual gratification from seeing democracies suffer. <laughs> And wow. so a person who donates, who, who's a philanthropist and donates tons of money <laughs> as well. Where, where's that tab on Pornhub? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you, you know, you, you just picture is you have a person who goes around to all these cities and plays a big game of tease. Oh, show me what your tax breaks are. Show me what your corporate incentives are. Show you how you're going to rearrange your city to meet my needs and then go to the same fix anyway. But now, now going to your Foxconn deal. So Foxconn was a manufacturing, was, was organized by, thank God, don't let the door hit you on the way out, Scott Walker over in Wisconsin. And it was a deal organized by Scott Walker to try to get some, basically, you know, blue-collar manufacturing jobs into Wisconsin. Now, the problem with those tax breaks is they were so great that they outnumbered whatever money this state was going to make or that the jobs that they were going to get. And the problem with those jobs is they were faulty because manufacturing falls under something called the race to the bottom, where we have, where no matter what, you're always going to have a third world country or something like that with looser safety laws, looser la labor laws, stuff like that, where you can manufacture stuff for cheaper. There is no future in manufacturing in this country. It's over with. It's gone. What is the future is you're going to have young, educated professionals 
like the kind of people who are going to be working on an Amazon headquarters. So you have a totally different kind of, you have coalition of the ascendant versus coalition of the descendant right there. And I'm throwing that at you there because you and I both know we were both looking over those words just a few uh, weeks ago. And, you know, so that's what Amazon is, is it's, it's taking advantage of this young, this base of young, millennial, educated workers. Now, they exist in every single metropolitan area, but they just decided to choose two, which are they're very, very, very high end. And so it's nothing at all like the Foxconn deal. One thing to consider, though, is that Amazon HQ2 is being built next to the largest public housing complex in America. So this is a low-income area, and you're, and you're right, the benefits of, of white-educated, uh, or maybe not necessarily white, but educated young people working for Amazon is, is, is great potential for that. But will it be able to help revitalize or even improve the area if it doesn't hire the people who live in the area? What do you guys think about that? I think that's come up before is that there, it's not like there's, they're saying 25,000 jobs are going to open up, but it's not like all of those jobs are just going to go to local people who are unemployed and looking for jobs. They're going to bring in the talent that they've found across the country. Like People are going to move there to work there. It's not just going to be like all these residents of Long Island City are going to catch a break and it's going to be like amazing for a local economy. And like you said, it's like talented people who are going to be working for Amazon anyway. So it's going to be interesting to see like exactly how that affects unemployment specifically and like what kind of people they're actually going to hire there. I just want to say that you kind of just, you just like walked right into here to the common sense button, okay? So you, I'm so glad you mentioned um, Queensbridge, which is the name of that public housing complex, right? So Queensbridge is currently undergoing community development services. It's currently undergoing a very much needed upgrade, right? And the residents of Queenbridge are actually going to see power outages, water problems, halts on these much-needed renovations as this Amazon thing is put in place. And the logic that you just plop something fancy down somewhere and it makes the world around it better is, is very flawed. I mean, you look at um, San Francisco Little Odden experiment where they try to take different areas, they try to take different Microsoft offices and Intel offices and put them in bad areas of San Francisco to try to attract people, I guess workers from those areas, and try to uplift some of the urban blight in those areas. What happened? The headquarters went up, the security guards rolled in, and then two to three ultra-expensive restaurants started popping up that were only being served by the people who worked in those places. And it does nothing for the neighborhood. You look anywhere, any sort of re regeneration scheme in London. You know, I wrote a dissertation about this. There's a bunch of people coming in trying to do the same thing. Oh, we're going to make an expensive housing complex and we're going to tear down part of this public housing complex to do that. No, it doesn't work. This is the flaw. And people buy this every single time. It's, you're literally like the Elvis is still alive, people. He's dead, okay? It's, you're not, no matter how many times a new corporation rolls into town and sells you the same old scheme that, oh, we're going to put our work here in a bad area and it's going to make things better. It's not. You know, Florida University is in the Bronx. And, and that people have been pitching that as, oh, that'll make things better. No, you just have a bunch of drunk 
douchebags <laughs> running around certain areas of the Bronx annoying people. It hasn't done anything significantly positive economically or communally for that area. You know, you can make that same argument for almost any company expanding anywhere. If they would have went to L.A., if they would have went to Newark, if they would have went to Baltimore, some, Maryland, some, either Baltimore, some area where it's considered low income, you can make that same exact argument. Um, I think from a broader perspective, sure, people in the community, some people in the community may not be able to get jobs from Amazon, like as in be a top exec, but from the things around it, whether it's, whether it's uh, MTA, whether it's uh, city jobs, there's going to be tax, there is going to be investment in the city from Amazon. Can I just, I'm just, for one thing at you, I have a great article you should look at, Onion article, the MT, the, the subway system is only for Amazon employees now. Yes, it's satire, but it actually has a lot of real true things in it. The second thing is that something that people don't talk about when you put a, um, a company, like a second headquarters of a company like Amazon in an area, a metro area like St. Louis or something like that, uh, a benefit people don't talk about is actually airports. Now, this is something that's really important. People fly, when people fly to places that no one flies to, it's significantly more expensive. Tulsa, when Tulsa was on the up and up before they went and they killed everybody in that city who wasn't white and the whole and all the awful things happened in Tulsa, they were on the up and up and their airport was the fourth busiest airport in the country. Had 36 gates and people were coming in when there was businesses there and stuff like that. Now, now that there's not businesses there, the airport's down to I think six gates and it's significantly more expensive to go there. When you have significantly more expensive air travel yeah. to a city like that, geographically isolated. But that's the point. Is like no one, no one, no, no one, one, no one goes There's to Tulsa, and then it gets complicated by more expensive airfare, which is complicated by less direct invest, economic investment going into it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When you put a place like Amazon on a map somewhere in, like, say, Tulsa or in St. Louis or something like that, you immediately have people start flying there, which immediately brings down the prices of flying to those cities, which immediately starts building in more, taking in some of these abandoned buildings and renovating them and using them for things. There are little quality of life things that do come in with something like that that aren't needed and are, and are just kind of background noise in a place like New York City or Northern Virginia. But you would actually, you don't have that kind of workforce for Amazon in a place like St. Louis right away. People would be moving in from like Columbia, Missouri, or places in southern Illinois, stuff like oh, that. People coming in from the west coast or the east coast. Or people coming okay. from the west coast. Who would buy it? Who would buy apartments? Like you put some place in northern Virginia. It's people from northern Virginia going to come in. No one from Seattle is going to go and open a small business in northern Virginia so that they their wife can work at Amazon. Like that doesn't happen. So there are significant things that people don't talk about. And that airline thing was just a random example, but that's a real thing that really kills some of these midwestern cities. And so that's just like one example of what how this can help. But it's not Amazon's fault that these Midwestern cities aren't doing well. But you're saying, but it's like it's the correlation is you're, you're saying. But again, who wants to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, as, as an example? One, no major companies probably are there. Secondly, that's not. I mean, well, that, that, that's his point, I think. But that's but again, though, it's up to Amazon where they're gonna go. If I don't even know if Tulsa even offered a package. Let's say they did. It's not. It's not. It's, about, it's not about Tulsa. It's about the economic. Right. I understand. The companies understand what he's saying. But again, these these places that you talk about have to offer a package. 
And Chicago offered a package, right? These different Midwestern cities did offer a package, and it strict wasn't good enough, obviously. Can I, can I just put this another way? We, when you donate money to charity, you get a tax break, right? For donating money. You can write that off on your taxes when you donate money to charity. Okay, so Amazon was going around and saying, we're going to give money for charity essentially through collateral by building a headquarters and creating new jobs. That was their charity. And they went around, and there were four starving orphans on the street, and they were two rich kids. And all six people were offering tax breaks, were offering write-offs, right? And they chose the two rich kids and still receives the write-offs anyway, even though they weren't donating money to charity. If you give $10 to the Henry Needs Assinibon Fund, it's not the same amount of charity as giving $10 to, like, Wounded Warriors or the Red Cross or something like that, or Vietnam veterans. It's not the same level of charity. You're not helping the same amount. And so if you're going around as a company and profitizing and saying that's what you're doing, and yet you're not doing that, but uh, you're, you don't deserve those tax breaks. Do you see the flaw in, in, in this tax break system and this corporate welfare that we do? And you know who did? The, the national profitizing. And yeah, you know who did? What else I want to say? The National Review, actually, the conservative magazine, National Review, which our friend Joe Reed actually put out a headline, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is right about Amazon's corporate welfare. Bam. Okay. That's all I have to say. This episode brought to you by the word profitizing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm recordizing. I only know it's how that works. I, I thought it was like pontificating and profiteering, but I, I don't like, know where the collizing came from. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to editize this episode. <laughs> no, profitizing okay. is a real word. So you guys Wait, are, what? It's a, look it up. It's something that you Mormons guys, do. It's you when guys, you go and you spread the gospel to people who don't necessarily <laughs> want to listen. Okay, so you guys are talking a lot about... I've never heard that word in my life. You guys are, you guys are talking a lot about... Um, how little Amazon will actually help invest in the area. Well, Mark's, Mark's not, but, but the rest of you are. Do you guys feel as if... Okay. No, I see, I see. Regardless, regardless, of, regardless of how true that is or not, do you guys feel as it's, a, it's Amazon's responsibility to improve the area in the first place? No. We can't put that burden on private companies, because that's a... That's a scarier national conversation as far as capitalism is concerned because as soon as we start doing that where does it end yeah but, but, but at the same time you can't you can't go into a club and say hey i'm a volunteer firefighter i want to get laid like if you're I mean, not you a volunteer, can. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> i mean you, 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 you totally can it's a lie but you can right. say you can't can. but you're, it's not, it's you're objectively an awful it. person either way sure, but especially if you're not Especially if you're not a volunteer firefighter. My point there with that, with that example is if you're lying about something blatantly for your own self-interest. But that's sort of what they're doing. They're going around framing this as them helping areas. And when they're not helping areas, they are lying. So that it, in my mind, it's the same thing as Jeff Bezos walking into a club and saying, I'm a volunteer firefighter. Yeah, but in that case, the burden then has to be on the consumer because you then just have to decide whether or not you're going to um, patronize unethical companies at that point. You should be just a very simple, very simple basis. You judge companies, whether they be Pete's Coffee Shop or whether they be Amazon, when they come to town, okay? It's something called the philosophy of localism. Localism says that you have to get all of your employees from that area that you're in. You have to buy all of your materials from that area that you're in. You got it, you're driving cars around, you better get, get them from Bob's Discount Car Lot 
in the area you're in. And when cities do this, there are studies. There's a city called Preston in the UK, which has had tons of crime, low unemployment, low, low employment, stuff like that. They turn themselves around by the council following the rules of localism. And that is something that some companies do, and it has a positive effect on their local area. And I can bet you 10 smackaroos that if you that if Amazon went into Tulsa, if Amazon went into Tulsa, and they employed the philosophy of localism, you would get a significant okay. boom. That's yeah, how you, you build. Know, that's but, how you build an area. But if, that's a beautiful, lovely, wholesome philosophy. But Amazon wouldn't be Amazon if that was their. If they Amazon were wouldn't exist. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be as successful as it is. Like I, no company, no city in America would be freaking out as much over Amazon if that's what they did because they wouldn't be as rich as they are. But are but are companies even incentivized to follow localism? Is is in the company's interest or the town's interest? Man, you know what? People are trying to live in a perfect world here. This is not a perfect world. Okay? Now we're creeping into this socialism. Is, we're like, should the government tell the companies what to do? I love it. This is not a perfect world. This is not a perfect world. Amazon in the, the day can do whatever they want. And at the end of the day, every single politician who was trying to make a pitch to Amazon, whether it was funny, whether it was for a joke, seriously or not, you have to offer you have to offer something to the table. Everything's about incentive, pretty much. Everything in this world revolves around incentive. Whether or not that's good or bad, that's a whole other conversation. But pretty much everything in the world revolves around incentive. Um, Amazon was incentivized to go to the two cities, one in New York, one in Virginia. And New York didn't even offer the best deal. Other cities offered way more money. D.C. was trying to offer about a billion dollars. It was uh, Newark trying to offer like five billion. There's more. There, there, okay, Newark... Their situation, if they went to Newark, you think that would have been positive? Let's say they went to Newark, Henry. Newark is not an area that is considered well. Am I correct? By saying that. Newark has a lot of problems. Yeah. And you can make the same argument that that would have took place what's going on in Long Island City, as you claim, what's going to happen in Long Island City. That, 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 the same argument can't be applied to, New, to Newark, New Jersey. And they would have got more tax incentives and more tax breaks. Well, so like, what, like, what, what is the, like, what's the whole point? Anywhere they went, they would have had tax breaks, whether it would have been a billion or whether it would have been five billion or seven billion. They would have had tax breaks anywhere in the country they went to, whether it's small little uh, some city in Arizona, or whether it was New York. They were getting tax breaks across the board, and it's not, and it's not Amazon's job. It's not Amazon's job to, to go in and, and yes, Queens, Queensbridge, there are serious problems there. And it needs to be fixed, but it's not their job to fix them. The gov- that's the government's job to fix those problems. And that and last time I checked, Queensbridge that's considered Queensbridge is considered uh, that that project is considered federal ho- federal housing, correct? Public housing. Public yes. housing. So at the end of the day, the state doesn't even have a hand in that. The state doesn't have a hand, and the state doesn't really have a, a major hand in that. That then that's up to the federal government. Could I? Could I? Could I just? I want to. This is the last thing. Yeah. Are, are you going to respond, or are you going to go off on another rant? No, I'm going. I'm going to respond to him. But I'm going to respond to him. You you were looking for 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 you know talking about things that there's things like this. They have repercussions we don't talk about. And I just want to say this one brief story because this is very important and this is this is relevant. Okay, when whenever a natural disaster happens, something like Katrina, when the president comes and visits, when he puts out when he comes and just gives a speech, they take power away from emergency shelters. They take power away. The president doesn't want them to, but people naturally do that, to fund his podium, to put the carpet out, 
to, to put the lights out for the press conference. These are real things that happened. They happened under Bush, they happened under Obama, they happened under Trump, they happened under Clinton. Real people suffer whenever President visits area. That's why Obama did not visit disaster areas immediately in the wake of it, because no matter what, something like that would happen. Now, P Amazon, on, what I'm saying to you by saying that, is that Amazon, you said, how is it not Amazon's fault? Amazon knows full well if it's coming and building a huge, massive corporation in Long Island City, that they are going to have an effect on the lives of Queen Bridge residents. They know what's going to happen. Amazon is smart. Jeff Bezos is smart. What I'm saying here is the problem is they don't care. You can't be like them purposely coming in and I guess like, you know, not indirectly destroying people's lives. That doesn't make it okay. You know, it doesn't make it okay if I indirectly destroy life versus directly destroy life. They know what they're doing. They know by that choice. And many companies have their headquarters in Newark. And I want to, I'm proud to say that Rutgers University has expanded into Newark with positive results. Just because parts of Newark are very dangerous, parts of Newark are, like downtown, are safe. Bank of America, PNC, all have massive headquarters in downtown Newark. Downtown Newark is a close way. I mean, I'm just saying you can make a financial, you know, thing for any place. And I'm saying it's, it's just, it feels like you're letting them off the hook. And it feels disingenuous as Democrats when we're taking the companies and saying, oh, they didn't know what they were doing when they were coming down and doing that. Like, no. Say, I never say they never knew what they were doing. No, but I'm, you're, saying, you're saying it's not their fault. And I'm saying it's, it's, it, it, it it's is their fault. fault. You know, and if Obama could recognize what the effects, just the, the, just the indirect effects of him doing something are, why can't Amazon, with all of its analysts, recognize the effects of what they're doing? And why can't we hold them accountable for that? And why can't we want better? And that's all I have to say. What do you, what do you mean it's their fault? Yeah, it's like, they, they're a private-owned company. They're not ran by the state. Because, I mean, like, the long-run yeah, city is the way it is reality is, we all just want to be socialists. Like, and what, I you, think what, that's what are you trying to say? Like, like, the company can do whatever they want. I'm, I'm saying they could, they could choose to have the headquarters. They can't do whatever they, they want. Not whatever they want, yeah. but within the legal compound. But, but they do have self-agents. I'm saying you could choose to have your headquarters wherever you want. They chose to put their headquarters next to this housing project and build from scratch. And they know that through the process of that building, the people in that housing project will suffer. Maybe the people... Suffer or just not benefit? Or just not benefit. There's a difference. They will suffer because they will experience electricity shortages. This is the, this I, is the way... This is the wrap. Well, they they, they, well, they have problem with water, seen. problem with okay. electricity. There's no... There's no call so, so, You have to wait for that until so. that, when that happens, then... But right. there's case, yeah. study, yeah. case study of this but, happening. Okay, but, but wait, though. When deals like this happen, whether it's in... I've seen it in L.A. Whether... I've seen it personally in L.A. when USC is expanding. They hire so many people from the community to build all your different buildings. This is going to be a long project. This no, is I do, be, and oh. I do think that Amazon does have a higher level of social responsibility than a lot of other companies. I'm not saying that they're going to be perfect, but I do think that they are making a lot of provisions to accommodate for problems that they may cause. Like, this is going to be a long project. This is not going to be like a year project and call it a day. Like, right. This is going to be a huge project and it will be continuous. Right, but there's, 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 there's you can't, you fact have to, but you have, but you have to also consider, this you have to consider the long-term effects. This is effects. not hypothetical. You've got to consider the long-term effects. If the short-term effects are considered bad, but the long-term effects are considered good, what do you rather take? Have a good short-term, but then a bad long-term? A longevity of a project and the longevity of a company being at, in, a, in a location is more important in my opinion, than the short term, because people are going to benefit in the long term. Listen, if if they if Amazon has Cuomo 
and Bill de Blasio on their corner, and the people of Long Island City don't have anyone on their corner. Okay, they, I'd rather be on their corner the same any place. day of the week. No, but if That's you want to talk about long-term things, short-term, people's place. lives are being affected, and I'm going to stand with them, okay. and they have plenty okay. of people right. who are, have your attitude okay. about this entire project. Okay. And there's more than enough powerful people with that kind of attitude sure. standing by this. Who is going to sure. stand for the actual people being affected by this? Whatever. Come on, guys. Whatever. We stand for people, Whatever. not for corporations. Not for these powerful companies, not for people like Jeff Bezos. We stand for the people of Long Island City, and we should be their voice, and we should be protecting them. We shouldn't be apologists for companies like Amazon. Henry, you're on a crusade. What's happening? I didn't know you're running for office. I have something that I really want to say about this topic. First, and it's incredibly abstract, but it was the first thing that came to my mind when I thought about when I heard that Amazon was building their headquarters in. Long Island City, because it's going to be underwater in like 30 years, so we're fine. Doesn't matter, man. They were delivering on boats. Smart, yeah, they would have done it in fucking, excuse me, Ooh. they would have done it in Colorado. Wow, good point. So realistically, we're having this conversation, okay. it's going to be incredibly obsolete. Round of question, which should encapsulate, no room for debate, just yes or no. Go around once, yes or no. Um, one, Ron T. Kim, a New York State lawmaker, announced a bill that he proposed in the state legislature to that would block the Amazon deal totally from hap- from being from happening in Long Island City um, and also redirect the 1.53 billion dollars that would have gone to Amazon and repurpose it to pay for student debt yes or no you're into that no yes yes thank you but does was, it apply to me? That's the real question. College know, is a scam. I don't know if it's state residents or not, but Shoot. if it's not state residents, we're all screwed. What if it's just everyone who goes to <laughs> but, school in okay. New York? I, I, no, no debate. I just wanted to know because okay. it was kind of like a cool thing. I just found this out. Uh, apparently, there is a popular game in which your only job is to spend all of Jeff Bezos' money, and the game is extremely difficult. Yeah, I've heard of it. So <laughs> it's kind of darkly comedic. In that, oh, I guess it's, it might be a fun game, but no man should have all that money. No one man should have all that power. The clock's ticking, I just count the hours. Yay. Nancy Pelosi, everyone. Nancy Pelosi. Is poised to once again become House Speaker. Because no one wants to run against her. Marsha Fudge was uh, put up there for a couple days after a while though she said oh no it was a joke so okay. gotta love that but but there's very clearly like a significant amount of discontent within the democratic majority in the house right now about their leadership given that Pelosi's gonna waltz in and, and there are significant portions of this majority that are not happy about it how will that affect Teamwork and chemistry. Is there going to be a lot of infighting during this, during these next two years? And what and what will come of that, if the, if it does? I just want to preface this entire conversation by saying that Nancy Pelosi is a barbed wire Christmas ornament of House Speakers. She had a time as a House Speaker for four years, from two thousand and six to two thousand and ten, and she was a terrible House Speaker. Well, for Barack Obama. She made it very difficult for him to get any legislative priorities forward. 
she was good for George Bush, but she's just stubborn and thorny and just not great. And if you touch it, it hurts your hands. It cuts, you might need to get one of those like shots or whatever. I don't know. But what I'm saying is that she's just, just kind of an unpleasant individual and she's just kind of this unpleasant, spiky ball of legislative like roadblocks. And so she's a good person to say no. She's a good person to be that John Boehner saying no, whip-getting person. But she is not a good person to be leading, I think, the Democratic caucus as we move forward and try to really pass some significant legislation to show people that we should be the true leaders who are in charge. That's all I preface the conversation by saying. Yeah, I think... Um, so, how, how, so, how, so how will that affect... <laughs> you you, you can't answer this yeah. part. How, how will that affect... Will there be a lot of infighting? What what will come of this within the Democratic Party? Yeah, I think that it's kind of an awkward situation because f I know like a lot of Demo how many signed that petition? 16, 16. 17 or something? 17. Oh, around 15, but I there's two additional Democrats that are saying you're not going to vote for her on the floor. I think, yeah, something yeah. like that. But so. Um, so I feel like it's kind of awkward because it's one of those things where like, you can trash your coworkers, but then you gotta go work with them the next yeah. day. Um, which is obviously like we don't need to add any more division. But I also do think it's on Nancy Pelosi a little bit to realize that like maybe she had her time to shine. Um, Kathleen Rice, New York's fourth district representative, um, she said a quote that I thought was really important. And she said, it's not an age thing, this is not a gender thing, it's not a where you come from geographic thing, it's not a racial thing. Um, it is this leadership team needs to turn the reins over to the next generation of Democrats, and we saw so much diversity, so many young Democrats enter the House in this last election, that I think we've had this conversation before about her presidential bid, too. It's just, it's time to, like, move on to younger people who've got new ideas. And I think it's in the best interest of senior Democrats to realize that going forward, and I think that would help ease the tension a lot if they did. Do you agree? Um, to an extent, but I think that the biggest thing is I haven't heard any other Democrat that's put in that name. Like, I haven't heard any active Democrat yeah. that's thrown that name in Ma that person. Marsha Fudge is the only one mentioned. So if people are saying this and making this plea to the public, then people need to... Uh, as a president, former president Barack Obama said, pick up a clipboard and do something. They need to put their hand in the, in the speakership and actually make a case for why they want to be speaker. Um, if she's the only one that wants to be speaker, then by de facto, she's going to be speaker of the, of the House. Um, what, whether what she's going to do going forward, I mean, she said potentially what she's going to do. Um, people could disagree or agree with it. Uh, once again, like, we're going to have to see when if she becomes speaker of the House, like what she'll actually do. Um, and I think that there's nothing, at this point in this presidency, there needs to be the, the old guard, I guess. Uh, I think they're doing a great job right now, whether it's Maxine Waters, uh, whether I think even, even Chuck Schumer needs to get a little bit more credit than he, than he deserves, um, whether it's Dianne Feinstein. You have these, these old dogs, you know, that's uh, old, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, basically, <laughs> who's been in... Who's been in a public public servant their whole entire whole entire life almost and and right now in the moment where Democrats need to step up and say certain things they are doing so and I give them I give them credit and there needs to be senior leadership for these different uh, these different committees 
that are that need to be filled by Democrats. So I think old the old guard, right for right now, needs to be there. Now go now next two years, I think I'll have a different opinion about that. What's question. the definition of insanity? You misquoting repeating the <laughs> same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Einstein kind of. You just <laughs> repeated the same thing over and over again and hoped for different results, Mark. You just said, well, okay. we get the same old guard up there, we roll the same people out, we push their wheelchairs forward, they go forward, they do this, same thing happens, but this time we're going to take down, you know, it's all going to come back and we're all, you know, and you, you just gave, gave us the same... Well, who else is trying to run for Speaker of the House? Who else is trying to actively run for Speaker of the House? Anyone. Besides... besides, besides Besides Miss Fudge, correct? Not even. Like, so she do that as a joke. She, she do that as so, a joke. Someone threw it out as, there as for her. People were like, yeah, Marsha Fudge. And then she was Who like, else? no. Stacey Abrams. <laughs> what? But she's, she's not, she's not running, though. She's no, nobody's running against Pelosi right now. No one's running right, against right, her. Draft somebody. Okay. Draft Stacey Abrams. She'd Probably be a very draft. good candidate. But that's exactly it. Because that, that's Mark's point. If, if nobody wants to run against her, can they really say that right. there's enough support, and, there's enough issue with her. And if these 16, these 16 Congress men and women who signed that letter, one of them, out the bunch, or two of them, needs to run. Yeah. Two, one or two of them, I don't know who signed it, one or two of them need to stop talking and actually run. I would declare <laughs> myself as a candidate for Speaker of the House right now if I was 25 years old. But you're not, you're not in the House. You're you don't, need to, be, well, you don't actually, need to be a member of the House. It can be anyone 25 or That's older. That's why Colin Powell gets like uh, yeah. Two votes every yeah. single That's why I said Stacey Hammond, you don't need to be part of the House. If I was 25, I would be announcing on this show right now my run against Nancy Pelosi. But I'm 21, so I'm not going to do that. Even, even if you, well, even actually, if you were 25, <laughs> no one's going to vote for you. Okay. Well, just no, say, but at least I'd be running against her. But no, the, I'd create a Facebook page. The Speaker of the House. Take over the House with a Facebook page. One Facebook. <laughs> okay. One social media so, platform. No, so, so, I, just I would like to either. just clarify something that I think, um, as far as like who might run against Pelosi, I think what's happening right now is they're like they're going through this the drama of it where they're signing the letter saying they're not going to vote for her, and I think one of them, if they have the votes in the end, that would be able to knock Pelosi out of her position. I think one of them would end up after that stepping up and running. I think they're just kind of lying dormant right now because I don't think they're willing to throw their uh, name into the into the ring uh, yet um, because they don't have the votes yet. Well, that sounds like a for those people who are potentially not throwing their hands out publicly, that is a personal problem. And if no one's going to publicly announce they're running or, do, or say potentially they're going to run, then you know what? Nancy Pelosi will be the next Speaker of the House. And Henry... I'm going to say that we are not drafting Stacey Abrams to be House to be Speaker of the House. You know why? Because Speaker of the House, in my professional opinion, needs to be someone who is elected by the people, by by the people, and for the U.S. Congress, not for state senate, not for anything else. But I think when it comes down to it, like in an ideal democratic scenario, I want to see more competition. It's like I feel like my frustration is stemming from the fact that we're all just like. Let's just lay down and take it, I guess. Pelosi's going to be the one. So expand on that. Who, who would you... Maybe you don't know a lot about what they want to do, but 
with their policies because it's such a random question all of a sudden. Yeah, but that's, but like, but that's like, part who, of the problem, though, is I don't, no one is coming forward to be like, okay, well, well let true. me dip my toes in. I can't so, even tell you who I would necessarily want so to be So what would you like to see out of a Speaker of the House? What would you want them to prioritize? Um, as a person, someone Thanks. who really likes long walks on the beach and um, a good book in the rain. What, what do you want the House to do with their majority? Let's phrase it that way. Pass some progressive bills. Like? <laughs> Um, well, obviously, just for the Democratic platform. The reality is, I don't think that... I honestly am a fan of Pelosi. I get that that's not 100% the attitude in this room, but I think she's a great representative, and I think she has as clear a history as any other politician, and I think people are incredibly critical of her. Um... But I don't, I don't know. I can't really think of like yeah. someone necessarily that comes to mind. No, that, that's okay. Like, aside from her, off the top of my head, but I think that's what's making me angry. And what does that say about what does that say about this race? If you can't think of anybody else who's exactly, I feel like it's what Henry had said, which was that we're just repeating history for the sake of repeating history, as opposed to shaking it up. And if we've learned mm-hmm. anything from these midterm elections, is that we have some momentum, and it's frustrating that the Democratic Party isn't inclined to use it. And it scares me a little bit for 2020 because I'm afraid that they're just going to be like, oh, yeah, here's Joe Biden. I guess we'll go with that. Do you, do you guys cool. share those concerns? It's like a dad. I love Joe, all right? I mean, but yeah. also, like, let's mix it up, people. Yeah. Do, no. do you guys share Nancy those Pelosi doesn't like long walks on the beach. She likes long wheels on the beach. Ooh! <laughs> <Eat the menu. laughs> Do you share Do you share Aaron's concerns? No, I think the twenty. I think when it comes down to twenty twenty, there's going to be tons of people running. I think it's we're going to have an almost same scenario where we had Republicans in twenty twenty sixteen. Avenatti twenty twenty. Anyone? <laughs> no, no, no. From jail. <laughs> <laughs> One's trying to get it domestically abused. I mean, it's just going to be a sticky situation with Democrats and in the House. I mean. They're going to obviously, I think they're going to oppose everything that Trump's trying to put up, which I think is a bad move, but if you want to get votes, that's what you're going to have to do. Um, but they need to pass. They need to do. They need to really focus on taxes and health care, those two issues. There's a lot of other issues, but I think taxes and health care. Um, because if you look at what happened in the House races, places where went blue, suburban areas, they were they were definitely affected by the tax, the tax cuts that were, that were passed, allegedly. And uh, this or, well, earlier last year, December of this year, a while, we, a while ev- everyone yeah, knows. Ev- everyone yeah, knows. just a while ago. Um, so I think it's important for them to focus on taxes and 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 making sure that the the democratic general general democratic platform is being is being uh, pushed. Um, but I guess we're gonna have to see what happens in the house with their leadership. Also, if they could stage a coup. That would be great as well. No. That is a criteria that I am looking for in the Speaker of the it's House. Co- it's co- it's, it, that, I think you should say that for the Senate. Just Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, like, yeah. stage you in the Senate. <laughs> the, the coup d'etat. And can, I, can, I, can, I, can I give you, give you can one? I, can I? All right. You, you been, quickly, you, quickly you, let me just address the fact that any time Henry begins a sentence, it's with a question. No, you're totally right about that. <laughs> It's really funny because it's funny because he starts so soft and then he gets so forceful. It's just that it just turns into like 
I stand with the people of Long Island City. Yeah. Okay, I just want to say, I mean, obviously, I don't know if people want to take a chance on first-time people, but no. I think that a really, really, really good person to put up for speaker would be Katie Porter, uh, for who is being who is being elected. Um, she's going to represent a, she's representing a conservative area of, um, Los Angeles County, like R plus like well, three. It's Orange County, by the way. It's Los Angeles County. She's, she's Central, what is that, Cent the, the Valley? No, no, it's, it's, it's in North. Oh, wait, 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 no, she's, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Easy, easy, it's okay, we all have to be cool, Taunt right? But I think we should look at, I think it really good is you should look, I think we need a progressive populist as our next speaker. And I think it needs to be somebody who's not representing an area that is an urban area. I think we need something different. So I think if that means Susan Bonanisi from Oregon, I think if... Who? And you're pulling names out of here. Question mark, who? Who? If it's going to be, you know... I think if, if you really want to go really extreme, if you want to get Raul Grava, Gra I can't pronounce this guy's last name. But Just say Raul. 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 Arizona. Raul, he is an interesting one. He'd be a very interesting speaker. Or, I mean, I think I'm always down for Rosa Delario, as people know. Don't Tulsi Gabbard is a really good person. Man, you're just on Wikipedia just shouting. <laughs> Actually, uh, yeah, dude, I want to agree with you on that. Tulsi Gabbard was like, like, would not be a good speaker. Okay, okay. So and Begley no, Jr. No no, would they, would they have like people. order by state? Can we check that? Tina Fey. Um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the progressive populist from the great state of... Uh, of Wyoming, uh, Richard Lenchowski. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but like, oh, why, why didn't somebody like Peter DeFazio? And this is somebody I can no. speak about online. Who? And like, who's that? Okay, Peter DeFazio. He, takes, he represents like a conservative. But he also takes fossil fuel donations too, so he's not good either. Peter DeFazio, yeah, but he's he's scrappy. What's the point? Of the point is, is the reason why I'm listing all these people. Yeah, what do these? What do all these people have in common? All all these people have in common is they represent rural areas. There are progressive populists, and they're all scrappy, sort of underdog sort of people. They all have sort of backgrounds of coming in from the back of the pack. They all have sort of backgrounds of not really being with the corporatist side of the party and being very largely independent. And the reason why I'm throwing all these people out there is... Eh, we talk a little bit about Katie Porter. But... <laughs> Oh, no, but, man. <laughs> but, but, but the point I'm saying here is, you know, these are people who would not, who would be governing the, I think, the House majority in a way that would be very much, you know, sort of for the people and would be very much how they would want it sort of organized. And they wouldn't be doing it, I think, with as much of a consideration for the National Party and for the national thing, that stage, that everything that Nancy Pelosi does. Because everything Nancy Pelosi does, I think, is very much living, dying on the Democratic Party, and I think that's great. But I think we seem to have a House. No, but I do I think it's important that we have a Democratic House that does Democratic things and has Democratic priorities and doesn't have strategic five-dimensional 3D chess moves that they believe will someday add up to something significant. Five-dimensional okay, 3D? Five-dimensional three-dimensional? Five-dimensional. It's five-dimensional. It's five-dimensions. <laughs> I will say I agree partially with Henry, but I also just want to point out that, I mean, if you pick a Democrat from a conservative district to be House Speaker, 
I mean, Republicans are just going to put like a ton of campaign cash into their district yeah. to try right. and elect a Republican. Yeah, it'll get, it'll get, and then get flipped. Just imagine yeah. like the That's attack ads that Portland. the Democratic <laughs> Speaker of the House is representing you and you're supposed to be a Republican yeah. voter. Not, not to mention that ideologically, the, the Democratic Party is more spread out than it was yeah. before this election. We need a left-wing person leading this. And I'm going to, I will keep saying that because... Yeah, when, but what do you think Nancy Pelosi's not? You think she's too far center? This is my last, this is my word about Nancy like Pelosi and political thoroughly positions. thoroughly Okay, I have one word for Still. Nancy Pelosi's political convictions. They are convenient. She oh, licks not. the finger, <laughs> sticks it in the wind, and whatever which way the Democratic Party is blowing that day, that's where she is. So yeah, you can say she's progressive, you can say she's moderate, you can say she's pro-waffles, you can say she's anti-rhubarb pie. It all depends on what the all the public relations data around her is also, saying like, at that moment. You, don't you admire that philosophy just a little bit? Like, that's kind of how it goes. She knows what she's doing. That's a political move. No, like, I am proudly anti very specific things that people don't understand because that's who I am. And I'm proudly pro very specific things that people also don't understand. And that's part of being human. And that's part of being a genuine person. And that's also part of being a representative is being somebody. You are representative, not a delegate. People elect you to go out there and to go into Congress and to stand up for your beliefs and how you best think you can serve yeah, so the people. Like, they that... don't elect you to go ask every single person what you want done because that is another definition of insanity. That does not work. And that is what someone like Nancy Pelosi does, but with corporate... <laughs> You know, pollsters. But you don't want her to be influenced by public opinion. Is that what you're saying? You want her to just have her philosophy and stick to it, no matter what, no matter what changes. And I think she'd be interested in an opinion she makes as a Democratic leader, but as for herself and how she votes and what vote bills she gives a priority, she should be influenced by what she personally believes. And I have no idea. And it seems like she's a robot, to be honest with me, because you, you can't get an answer on those sort of things. I don't think that's true. When she gave her speech about what was going to happen, like I think she was honest up there. I think she definitely showed a human side. Um, I think the only other... I don't like this language. <laughs> Let's hear it for pre-existing conditions. Woo! Like, the only other Democrat <laughs> that's that, a human thing to that say. could actually, like, have a good chance of getting Speaker of the House is probably Adam Schiff. But... Who? Adam Schiff. Yeah, Adam Schiff. But yeah. he needs to stay in the House to, and be in charge of the House Intelligence Committee, where he needs to be. So... That being said... Let's look at the silver lining. Because, in reality, we don't really have a choice in the matter, do we? She's a strong, independent female... Love to see it. And hopefully, how many years do we have? Two. Two. In two years, we can just sort of do a whole wash of all of the government. All of it. <laughs> well, not all of the government. Parts of the government. Abolish the government. And hopefully it won't matter that much. And it will be more or less inconsequential that Nancy Pelosi is going to be the Speaker of the House. Well, more drama in the White House press conference room. Trump pulled CNN White House correspondent Jim Acosta's press pass following a fiery exchange about the characterization of the migrant caravan as a group of invaders during the midterm elections. The administration claimed that Acosta like put his hands on a White House intern, even though he was just trying to like pull away. The video was and iconic. He, he did like a weird like karate chop, but I'd hardly call it a vicious attack. Um, um, 
it was a very awkward video, though. The girl is, I'm like, oh my god. You could tell she was nervous yeah. to be on TV. I, I, felt really, I felt really bad for her, actually. Yeah, me too. But <laughs> I'm like, that would probably be me. <laughs> N- neither here nor there. It's um, here and there, Nick. Cause it was, no, it's not, because it was later retracted. Oh. That, that excuse was later retracted. And CNN then sued, and the suit has since been re- retracted because they reached a solution where Acosta would get his press pass back permanently. Um, but the question still remains. You know, it's arguable that Donald Trump, by, revo- by revoking Acosta's press pass, violated the First and Fifth Amendments. And given his uh, record with attacking the press through his, in- through his candidacy until now, what does this say about the state of press freedom in our country today? I think the state of, of, of press freedom in the United States of America is, um, I think it's, it's rocky. But at the same point, I think it's also positive as well um, because there's a lot of companies or news companies are making tons of money and getting a lot of clicks and there's a lot of stories out there to write about. So from that perspective, it's good. But if we're just looking at the treatment, obviously... It's not, it's not the best. Um, but what happened at the White House, that was an interesting situation. And the White House chose, ha- you know, had to, had to choose where Jim Acosta was going to sit. And, they, and Henry could, you know, back that up that way, that the White House, White House press, the White House press pool doesn't have assigned seating. He, he, it changes every single time, mm-hmm. right? It changes every single time. Well... Like in not, terms of not like in the room, not in the room, but in terms of like where people are sitting. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever rows. you go into an event like right. that, they put they put normally put it's, your, it's normally your like a so random. You have, yeah, you have a new chair. You have a new you. chair every single time. So they knew Donald Trump knew, and the, and the administration knew he was going to be right there in front of them. So if they didn't want to hear anything from him, they would have put him second row, third row, put him in the back. They also do something where they pre-select seven to ten news agencies and have mm-hmm. them and then have them on a list and then that's when the president calls on them because he's a list in front of him. That's very true. <laughs> and and uh, during Dr. Lee Marinoff's class, we had the director of the White House uh, Press, the White House Correspondents Association yeah. come in and talk to us and he mentioned that same idea of what's going on. Um, so they, the, the administration knew Jim Acosta was sitting right there and the thing is, the president kept entertaining him. He kept talking to him. If he really wanted them to be quiet. <laughs> well, yeah. He, he said he was a bad person for working for CNN. He said, you, he said you should be ashamed of working for them. You are a rude, terrible person. Why did they hire you? Direct they quote. They kept, they kept Why don't you run CNN and I'll run the country? Yeah. They kept attacking him. Not kept, they kept attacking him over and over again. So obviously, the president was entertained by it. Jim Acosta was doing his job asking questions. And the president couldn't answer the question. Pretty much what happened. Uh, I, I, I think we all agree with that. Couldn't answer the question. And at the end of the day, um, the White House, if this, if this would have went to the Supreme Court, I think the, the press would have won. And the judge even sided with the press anyway, um, which is a positive. Um, it's a great, a great thing. The judge didn't necessarily side. He granted an injunction, an injunction initially, right. and, then CNN, and then once a proper settlement was right. reached... CNN pulled the lawsuit, right. so no decision was ever made, uh, to be fair. Yeah, it was just really dumb that the White House decided to pull a press, a press badge. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I think Trump's whole idea is any press is good press in his mind, so why would he even pull a press badge? I feel like it's just like a characterization of his presidency at large, though, because it's like someone says something that he doesn't like or something happens that he doesn't like, so he makes a rash decision... 
to try and flaunt his power or whatever. And then everyone around him is like, you can't do that. And so he's like, fine, fine, fine. I'll, uh, I'll be very um, generous and merciful. Yeah, I pardon you. Right. <laughs> and I feel like that was just the tone here, which is kind of disgusting. And it's just terrifying, too, when mm -hmm. we're talking about freedom of speech, which is just such an obviously important subject. Can I give people a bit of background here? Um, so, so a lot of things that were taken here was obviously something called uh, the White House. And I'm going to get really serious here and just give you some guys some just straight stream of facts with just no bullshit Henryisms. Hey, what person? Oh, sorry, no BSing Henryisms. Whoa. Okay. Um, so what happens is there's there's approximately forty organizations that each hold one hard pass. That's, all, that's the red thing that Jim Acosta had taken from him. And the point of that really being is that each organization gets to choose who their White Horse House correspondent is, who is in that press pool, in that room, when Sarah, whenever the press secretary has a press conference. And there's other ones that can go and are on something called a travel pool, which follows the president around, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the idea being that there are only 40 such of those red passes. And the president and those people cover it for decades and decades and decades. And obviously they can switch and stuff like that, but the president has no power. They just have, they just know that those 40 organizations which are part, which are in agreement as being part of the White House press pool permanently in the association get one of those badges. So the whole point being is that Trump did not like Jim Acosta, but because CNN was part of the pool, the whole point being is the fourth estate gets to choose who gets their specific pass. And the reason why this is a big deal is there's different types of passes, obviously. There's only those specific red passes, but when most press go into the White House, including if it's someone's boss at the AP or something like that, or if you're, for instance, a photographer, travel pool, whatever, you get a different type of badge coming in there. That's not a red badge that, like, Jim Acosta had, and those have all sorts of conditions on them and stuff like that that just can be taken away. Whenever I go in there, you, you have to put the badge at the end at the security, and you can't leave with it. Red badges, you can leave with it, you can show they're a big deal. So, this is what I believe is a blatant attempt by this administration to reach over past all these invisible boundaries of constitutional protections to the press and all this sort of stuff and change a fundamental thing about how the president's relationship with the press works by choosing for an organization who covers him. And I think this is the first real time that this has happened, and I think this is a big, big, big deal. And I think that's what he was trying to do here by taking away his past and saying, no, give, give me someone else. CNN wants to cover this, give me someone else. He was really, I think, testing the powers there in a big way. And I'm very glad it did not work out for him, but this is very, very, very scary stuff. And the point has always been is that po politicians never have great relationship with the press. They always have those press members that they like, that they want to have an interview with, but you're always supposed to have a professional relationship. And so far, every single president has had a pretty professional relationship with the press that has not extended to this level, I believe. <laughs> not LBJ taking interviews in, on the toilet. Right, but he's not... That's crass. <laughs> that's not a blatant that's oh, no. violation. Have, dropping your pants and inviting the press in seems pretty. Okay, well, <laughs> pretty cool. You get some. There's some. There's some. There's some rapey vibes there too. But what I'm trying to no, say no, no. 
I mean, I don't know. Just, just, just disrespectful. Disrespectful. There's no sexual kind of yeah, Okay, 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 whatever. But, but, honestly, but there's a difference between disrespect and a blatant violation of just how the conventional norms of these things work. And just, there's nothing, there's never been something just like this, this drastic, in my opinion, just out of the way, blatant, that this person has done. And and I think he put that intern in all of it. And I think that was, that was a horrible thing to watch. And I think this is like, like a serious, this is when people, if something bad happens, if 2020 happens and he doesn't concede, this is going to be one of the things politicians are going to talk about as a moment. And although it doesn't seem like a big thing, messing with the fourth estate in this way is going to be one of those moments that we're going to talk about. That historians will talk about. Do you guys agree? Do you think it's really that significant? And why? Um, yes and no. Here's why. Classic Mark answer. Yes and no. <laughs> Well, I, I, I kind of like the upfront, like, yes and no, but then, like, the here's why. I kind of like that. <laughs> because under President, okay, President Trump, oh, I can't believe he's going to do that. The man claims he, he doesn't like the press, but so far under his administration, he's answered, like, the, whether or not the answers are good and whether or not the questions are good are, like, a whole different conversation, but the point he answered him, he's answered, on average, the most questions out of any president probably in our modern history. And that's, that's, uh, that's a fact, and that's, it's really crazy, because he claims he doesn't like the press, and he has all this hateful rhetoric towards the press, but it's willing to take questions almost anywhere he goes, whether it's him walking to Marine One, he's always taking a few questions from the press, and during that press conference, with, with Jim Acosta. He answered, I think it was oh, almost 40 different questions from news uh, journalists. And he's actually called on a lot of international journalists, which is like unprecedented in a way. So it, yes, it's an attack on journalism, but at the same time, there's also that, that, po that positive of him answering different questions. And I think even if you go back to the last administration, Journalism, the how President Obama treated the, the press was different compared to Trump and Bush. Um, every single president is different. And how Trump is taking interviews with like Fox and like other conservative-leaning uh, uh, news outlets, Obama did the same thing with CBS and New York Times. And he only called on like 12 people per on average um, in terms of different journalists. So I think, Henry, you make valid points. And they're there, and they're definitely substantial. Um, but at the same time, he has done some things with press that are like really we haven't seen in American history in a very long time. All right, since this whole debacle went down, the president hasn't really admitted any wrong. Typically, has not admitted any wrongdoing. Are we surprised? In fact, he threatened to revoke more yeah. press passes from from. Uh, media for media. a larger metaphor for his philosophy. Right. From media companies other than CNN. Although CNN, of course, is included in there. And he's even threatened to simply leave the press conference if he's asked a question he doesn't like. Amazing. So it only seems like his, his relationship with the press is getting worse. And yet, like Mark said, he kind of like he kind of likes interacting with the press and kind of needs them in a way. Mm -hmm. So 
why? So what's what's his goal here? What's he trying to do? If he if with all these contradictory actions and goals and words. Isn't that just the the question of the year though? Like, it's so hard to pinpoint whether we're like, yeah, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's really thinking each of these steps through, and he's really playing the media, or is he just an idiot? Like, it's it's difficult to tell. I mean, I know my personal thoughts, but... What are they? He's just an idiot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think that he's just vain and doesn't actually understand how these things work, and he doesn't understand that he needs to have a certain level of diplomacy. He thinks he can just do whatever he wants, but... Again, that he just continues to get more and more coverage, and obviously there are members of his base who look at him when he does things like this and just, like, absolutely drool over it. Yeah, it's a political move. Yeah, it's just the first base. He's not talking to people like us who are, like, in college, who college-educated. Like, I'm not saying his supporters aren't, but, like... You are, though, and we all know it. <laughs> And that's I'm not fine. Saying, I'm not saying that, but... It's true. It, to a certain extent, it is, it is true. Stats support it. Um, yeah, it's not... It, yeah. Um, he's not talking to people like us. I mean, he's talking to people, fire up his base, um, in the South. Um, Older generations who don't actually care about... Even even some people our age, though, as well. Who that, I mean, that sounds crazy, but there's a lot of people, I think, our age that supports him on a level, whether it's a lot or a little right. bit. But I'm saying, like, this whole situation, like, the tone of it just reflects that sort of ideology that's, like, we need to revere and worship this Mm -hmm. man in charge, president, and whatever he says goes, and he has an iron fist, and he doesn't have to Mm -hmm. submit to any questions that he doesn't want to hear or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of like that... Mentality, yeah. Right, mentality that these voters have, whereas, uh, obviously, like, progressive people are like, let everyone's voice be heard. You ever see the musical Wicked? We all know Wicked, whether or not we've seen it or we've not, we've heard of it. We know it's a musical on Broadway, you know. And I think I think when people are asked to find one moment from Wicked, they don't even necessarily kind of relate it back to you know sort of its basis in Wizard of Oz or something like that. They think of Gravity, this big like theatrical number they have about this person saying you know like like. It's a big moment for her that, you know, she's defying gravity and that the restraints that have hold her down so far in her life, she's able to take off by, like, this force of, of just gravity. And I believe that um, each of the estate, and they call the fourth estate, you got, you know, I, like, kind of think of that as, like, the, like the three branches of government. They're the fourth branch of government. They're the accountability. You have legislative, executive. Trump likes to defy gravity. That's his thing. He's trying to mess with a force and and try to break free of it, but at the same time, he needs it. You can't defy gravity and float up if you're not going to come down eventually. Like, it's cool to have a hang glider, but if you just get stuck up there forever, bad luck, dude. We need to bend... Politicians seek to bend these rules, but stay within the curvatures of them, much like how we're always trying to expand how we can manipulate gravity and stuff like that, but still take advantage of its effects. I believe that Trump has been trying to 
and has masterfully used the press as a way to boost himself, especially the self-indulgent air, air ratings that, you know, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News did all during the campaign to boost himself. And I think he's still trying to use the press to just further take the stories off of the legislative failures, off of what Betsy DeVos is doing, off of the systematic destruction of a lot of priorities in our government and eroding of our constitutional norms and focus it more on his personal antics like, oh, Trump didn't go to XYZ funeral. He's using this, he's building up his own curve and his own niche and gravity. And what happened here was for a moment, he kind of thought about it. When you're defying gravity, you can't think. You can't think about how, oh, how close the ground is. And he did that for a second when he tried to come out this press pass. It ruined, I think, some of his flow and some of his way he was able to kind of come in and out of the press as he wanted to and maintain this combative relationship while still benefiting from positive praise from conservative outlets and in using his access as president to further increase his agenda and put the focus on him. And I think by going after the press pass and alienating, I think, some of Fox and Newsmax and some conservative organizations came out against him, I think it shows that no matter who you are, even if you're Donald Trump, you cannot defy gravity. I think what's so tricky about this persona that he's created for himself is that he's literally whittled himself a safety net. Like his whole platform is that he's like, they criticize me for not being politically correct. And everyone's like, yeah, we don't like that. Like, say what you want. You can be a douche. Whatever. It's okay now. Um, and now it's just taking it eight steps too far, and that's leaking over into all areas where, like, now he's overextending his authority. And regardless of whether there's been backlash, which is there has, and that's a good sign, we're still not really as angry because we're like, Ah, uh, yeah, but that's just him, like, refusing to play by the rules. That's his thing, and it's cool, and we like it. <laughs> Which is terrifying. Even like, his opponents. Exactly. So it's just kind of like, why are we letting this whole, oh, yeah, he's not going to be PC, he's going to, like, mix it up, he's going to say things that make people angry, and that's, like, cool part of him being president. We're letting that spill into, like, okay, this has, like, serious repercussions for the country. <laughs> I just feel like it's kind of like he's building a brand off of like warping and sort of eroding constitutional norms and I think that was a flagrant grab and I think that he tried to he, he went he, he was trying to erode and I think something snapped and something grabbed and snapped but right back out. do you feel like it's that consequential? Because I feel like it's not. Like I feel like we're already over it. No, it certainly is that consequential. So for example I have a quote from one person named Jay Rosen, who's a professor of journalism at NYU. He was quoted in the, in the New York Times as saying, in part, quote, Trump is not just attacking the press, but the conditions that make it possible for news reports to serve as any kind of check on power. No, absolutely. And so that's the conversation. So even though this move failed, he still is not going to treat the press any differently. Right. And the press is but going to cover it all along. Like, he right. did this, it made news, it was kind of scary, but it's over now. Like, but it, what? But well, it's also his types of fake news and a particular journalist saying, like, oh, you can't trust them. You but he's those... been saying that since day one. Right, exactly. But that's, the, but that's exactly it. Because if, if he convinces people that they can't trust the press, who can they trust? Oh. Well, 
you know, I guess to put a bow on it, wrap it up. Uh, Henry, Pratt, you made some interesting points. Valid points as well. I won't put that out there. Valid points, uh, point taken. Um, Aaron, phenomenal points. Nick, phenomenal point. But were they valid? Um, and they're valid they're as well. <laughs> and they're valid. And they're valid. I'm just looking for some validation. Um, and they're valid. Um, I, I think... I think we all have to continuously <clears throat> watch out and see what's going to happen next with these press badges and overall the press and how and what the temperature in the room is with that. Um, and Henry, you know better than any of us because I haven't been to the White House press room, uh, brief, briefing room. Uh, you have. Um, so by the fact though, you have a greater temperature of what's going on. So we all need to listen, continue watching, and focus on the important things. And make sure journalists have rights. Make sure all of us have rights. Civil liberties are important, people. As long as, love of my life, Sarah Huckabee Sanders can sleep mm. at night, mm. then it's all been worth it, right? I guess so. And you know what? This is Fireside Rants. Was. I guess we're done. Yeah, well, <laughs> Marge is freaking. <laughs> you just got Ended. it. You just walked out. Great.